Welcome back to the Foul Balls podcast for October 23rd, 2017. Uh, we have an eight-game NBA slate, and as of now, there's a lot of unsure injury information. So Matt and I are going to go through that, and uh, I guess we'll try to figure out kind of like if-then situation. So if this guy's out, this is who's going to have value. And then hopefully before lock tomorrow, we have a little bit more clarity, which isn't always the case with basketball, but we could always be hopeful. Uh, The first game on the slate, uh, we don't really have any injury information for this one. It's one of the only games where we have a little bit of certainty, and that's the Philadelphia 76ers at the Detroit Pistons. So we have Joel Embiid, uh, minutes restriction, apparently just doesn't exist for him because he was supposed to be held to 16 minutes per game to start the season. He's played 27 minutes in the opener, 28 minutes in the second game. He did get rested for the third game. He's also shooting 35% from the field, but despite that, he's still averaging 40 fantasy points per game. So what is the uh, Vegas information for this game, Matt? The Sixers opened as four-point underdogs, and they've been bet down to three and a half. I think that this line probably just opened a little high for Detroit because the Sixers have lost two, three games to start the season. So maybe public sentiment is a little bit down on them, and the Sharps are capitalizing on a little bit of an inflated line. But there's really not much to look at here. The total has gone up just a bit. Uh, No real indication of sharp money aside from a little bit on the Sixers side. Yeah, so the way I look at this is Joel Embiid, like I said, is shooting 35% from the field. And he's still averaging 40 fantasy points per game. So at 8,200, you need 41 points for him to hit value. He's going to hit more than 35% of his shots this year. I think that he's a terrible matchup for Andre Drummond. He's a bad matchup for really most centers in the league but especially Drummond because Joel is capable of playing on the perimeter. Drummond is not going to come out to guard him. He's going to leave Embiid open for a lot of jump shots. So I think that I think we're going to see a lot of open threes. And Embiid, I think, maybe hasn't a three-pointer yet this season. I would guess that changes tomorrow night. Ben Simmons at 7,700. He's been playing mid-30s amount of minutes. I think he's a lot upside. He's a good value. Nobody else I'm really that interested in from the Philly side of the game. And then from Detroit... We have uh, Reggie Jackson, I think, is marginally interesting. He was injured pretty much all of last year with a bad knee, and he just looks healthy this year. I think we could look at a lot of his struggles last season we could attribute to. He just wasn't healthy. The knee was bothering him. He had to get shut down early in the season. I think he's fully healthy now. Remember two seasons ago, he was somebody who was pretty regularly priced in the seven to 8000 range. So even though the uh, Philly's been pretty difficult on point guards to start the season, they were tough on them last year. I mean, 5,800, I just think, is a big discount for Reggie Jackson. Drummond, usually GPP play for me. But with that said, I think the matchup against Embiid, one of the better defenders in the league, is will keep me away from him. So not a ton of interest in this game and a little more interest in the Philly side of the game than the Detroit side of the game. Anything else to add, Matt? Uh, the one guy, I think, out of all the players to look at in this game, I think the one guy that jumps out, to me, is Stanley Johnson, who still is playing a ton of minutes and is still priced at 3900 So that's probably the one guy that I am more likely to use than not. And it seems like mostly a fade here because there's a lot of there's a lot of risk and uncertainty with Drummond in a tough matchup with Embiid and the minutes. So I think I do like Stan- Stanley Johnson, but that's probably it. Yeah, I'm just, like, he played 40 minutes on the opening night, and then he played 23 minutes the second game, 28 minutes the third game. I think there is potential for him to go back up. I'm just a little scared because he's dealing with the back injury. has been 100%, so I'm not sure, like, why has he been playing less minutes? Is it because he's still not healthy? 
but could he just go back up to the 40? I'm not really sure. I think he's cheap enough that he could make some sense as a GPP play. Um, a little risky, though. And then also Robert Covington's probably going to be guarding him. A tough defender, one of the better defenders in the league. Um, but there is some upside in that price. Uh, the next game on the slate, there is a ton of injury news in this game. It is Atlanta at Miami. There's going to be no spread for this game. And that is because Dennis Schroeder left today early with an ankle sprain. He is almost definitely not going to play tomorrow. We don't have an, an actual update on the injury information, but it looked like he rolled his ankle pretty bad. And I think they said that he's a bone bruise in his foot, and um, hopefully we get a timetable on him soon. Assuming he's out, it's probably going to be Malcolm Delaney starting in his place. Delaney's not a particularly good player, but 3000 for a point guard is just very cheap, and Delaney's going to have to play a ton of minutes. The usage situation for the Hawks is a mess right now. Schroeder's been one of the league leaders in usage rating to start the season. He's been taking well over 20 shots per game, and they don't have anybody else who could really create their own offense right now. I think Ersan Ilyasova is probably going to be the guy who is really their go-to scorer on offense now. I think he's going to have to get a lot of touches. He's going to have to shoot a lot. So he's a really good value at 4,000. Delaney makes a ton of sense. Maybe Bazemore also, because he's he could handle the ball a little bit. Uh, John Collins looked really good off the bench today. I think his minutes are a little risky, and just the fact that he's only playing center, Deadman's only playing center, and they're just kind of splitting the minutes up amongst those guys. I don't think Deadman and Collins have played a single minute with each other through the first three games of the season. So Collins a little risky for cash games, but I do like his upside a lot at only 4,000. And from the Miami side of the game, Hassan Whiteside is questionable. We saw him out the other night. Uh, when he was out, James Johnson started, and um, Kelly Olynyk came off the bench, but it didn't really impact Olynyk's minutes too much. Olynyk still had a really strong game, so if Whiteside's out, I think we have another situation where usage boost for Drogic, uh, usage boost for Waiters, usage boost for Josh Richardson, and then just a ton of minutes for James Johnson and Kelly Olynyk also in the big man spots. There'll be a lot of value. And if Whiteside's out, like, this is just a ridiculous game to stack. It's just a bunch of fairly cheap players in what should be a pretty up-tempo game, just bad teams, and there's going to be a lot of scoring. There's just going to be a lot of guys who just crush their price points. So anything else to add for this one, Matt? I'm just hoping Hassan Whiteside is out because this will be a really, really strong value spot, not only for the Heat players that will have a big increase in their minutes, and I do like a couple of them anyway, but... I'll probably be using a ton of the heat if Whiteside isn't playing. It's all all more usage, all more minutes for most of their guys. Agree on Delaney for sure, but there's a boost to all of the Hawks guys too if Whiteside isn't playing because the pace of the game probably picks up. Uh, Whiteside isn't there to protect the rim, so it should be easier for the Hawks to score. So this is probably maybe not the biggest situation of the night to monitor, and I think we can definitely say that Schroeder isn't going to play, but... Beyond uh, maybe the Golden State situation, I think that this is the most important injury situation. And if Whiteside's out, this becomes probably the only stack that I think I'll make and just use a lot of a lot of both sides of this game because it'll it, it should be a much higher scoring game and everyone is really cheap. Yeah, definitely. I mean, this is this is the best GPP spot. It's where a lot of the value is. Uh, so I definitely couldn't agree more with you. This is. That's definitely the game to target for cash games, for GPP stacks, for sure. The next game, Charlotte-Milwaukee. Giannis has been ridiculous this year, and he's just going to be by far the best player to play up for, pay up for. Like, I just don't think that there's anybody who I really even consider even close to have the expected point output of him. He's averaging well over 60 fantasy points on the season. 
he looks like somebody who's going to be priced in the mid-12,000 price range later on in the season. So seeing him this cheap is just pretty ridiculous to me. The over-under, is is this the lowest point total of the of the slate, Matt? Uh, it's tied for it. Actually, yeah, it's slightly lower than the uh, Raptors-Spurs game. The other two games that we don't know the information for yet, I'm assuming will be higher. So e- even though it is the lowest scoring game, Giannis is just so good that I agree with you there. But I probably don't have a ton of interest in the game aside from that. Uh, but it's really hard not to use Giannis in cash games for sure. But in GPPs, do you think there's some sense in fading him? Because I would imagine he's the highest owned player on the slate with how well he's played so far. I wouldn't say fading him. Um, I think that there maybe you if you're making like say 20 lineups, I don't think he has to be in all 20 of them, but I wouldn't put Giannis in zero of them. Like to me, I think that's, that would be a really crazy risky thing to do because I think the upside's so high and the floor's really high. Like last year, there was so few games where he didn't come close to hitting value. He, he went on a stretch last year where uh, off the top of my head, he did something like scored at least 40 fantasy points in like 35 of 40 games or something like that to, uh, for a stretch in the middle of the season, so there's really not a lot of downside to Giannis. He just he did he wasn't putting up like the 60 fantasy point games last year, but he's he's averaging that through the first three games of this year. He's shooting like 70 percent from the field. He's just been insane, and then he just has such a better matchup than any of the other guys on the on the slate. Michael Kidd Gilchrist is out. Obviously, Nick Batum is out. The one guy I think does have some value on the Charlotte side of the game is Frank Kaminsky. He had to play extra minutes in the last game because Cody Zeller's out with a knee injury. Zeller's expected to miss tomorrow also. Kaminsky ended up getting in over 30 minutes. Kaminsky was another guy who last year when he played extended minutes was priced, I think he was in like the high 6,000 to 7,000 range. So to see him in a similar role this year and then still be all the way down to 4,700, there's a lot of upside in that price tag. And the other thing too about the game having a low point total, it's not really that concerning because the Bucks are one of the slowest paced teams in the league. They were, uh, I think, bottom five or maybe at least bottom eight last year. So to see them in a low over-under game, it's not really a big deal to me. I don't have to look at that and downgrade all the players because that is their expected baseline performance anyway. They're always playing in slow-paced games. So I'm fine with that. I think Giannis is the top guy to pay up for. Is I guess we'll get into the next game in a second, but is there anybody who you're considering that you would pivot off of Giannis for? No, I think I'll mention something different. Uh, I not not different than Giannis because I do agree with you there. There's just another player I like here too, and that's Malcolm Brogdon, who I think is a really safe cash play because of the number of minutes that he plays per game. He's only priced at 5100, and I think he's a really safe bet to return value just about every night because he's underpriced and is in the game for almost the whole game every night. So I like Brogdon a lot. I'm not sure if there's a ton of upside there, but I think that. Just in terms of sheer value, he's uh, he's a guy to definitely target. Yeah, I think I think he's fine. I've actually I've been playing him in cash games this year, just because of well, not every night, but there've been times where I've played him in cash games this year, just because how many minutes he's been playing. He played forty minutes on opening night, uh, and then he got uh, how many minutes was it last game? I think it was thirty-five plus or so. He's been over thirty-three every single game so far this year, and he's still only fifty-one hundred. Um, yeah, 41 minutes, 34 minutes, 31 minutes. So th- that's a lot of minutes for somebody who's that cheap. And Brogdon is also a solid player. They're going to need him, I would guess, maybe a little extra minutes for this game where we could see him maybe closer to the 40 than the 30-point mark, 30-minute uh, mark, just because uh, he's going to have to guard Kemba Walker. That's a tough cover. So, yeah, I think Brogdon, 
solid cash game option. To answer the uh, other part of where you were going with the Giannis thing, I do think that there's one guy who could potentially be a good pivot, and we'll cover him in the next game because Steph Curry might be suspended for this game, and Kevin Durant would get a huge bump in usage. So we'll talk about that game, but I think Durant maybe is a better value than Giannis if Curry sits and if Durant plays. Okay, so we will talk about that. The next game on the slate is the Warriors-Mavericks. As Matt mentioned, this possible Steph Curry suspension, I'm very convinced that Curry's going to be suspended for this game. He threw his mouth guard at the ref. Uh, Kevin Durant also kind of got in an altercation with some fans, and he was also yelling at the ref. So he, it is possible that he gets suspended, but I don't think it's quite as likely as a Curry suspension, which I would say is probably like 80-20 in favor of Curry getting suspended. So I do think Durant, 9,600, so he is considerably cheaper than than Giannis. I actually think it's probably pretty doable to get Durant and Giannis into the same lineup, assuming that there's going to be a ton of value in that Atlanta-Miami game. I, I, I still, even if Curry's out and Durant plays, I still do prefer Giannis a little bit. Well, I guess the reason you wouldn't be able to fit them in is because you probably would want to use Draymond Green and Klay Thompson because they both get a big bump too with Curry out. So you're obviously not going to be able to use Giannis and Durant and Draymond and Klay Thompson. So I think you do have to decide to use three or maybe even only two of those players. So I think it could be a pretty tough call uh, with all those other value spots being on the table also. No, that's true. Um, I also think that maybe it makes sense, like if you don't want to get three. The other thing also is the Warriors are going to be massive favorites in this game over the Mavericks. There's going to be, even without Curry, there's a lot of blowout risk to this game. This is not a good Mavericks team. I think that maybe it makes sense also to go, you could go Giannis with Green and Thompson, or maybe Giannis with like Durant and Thompson, because Thompson's not really that cheap. Thompson's only 6,600. So I think that you could probably fit him pretty fairly anywhere. Also, Draymond only 7,200. I would just be a little wary of using three, all three of the Warriors guys in the cash game, just because the blowout risk is still really high, even without Curry. Yeah, and I guess I'd also be wary of using all three in a GPP too for a game stack there because the upside for all three together is probably limited. They do take away some touches from each other. It's kind of hard for all three to have a ton of usage, although Draymond Green is certainly capable of having a really strong game, even without a lot of usage. So I think pairing Green with either Durant or Thompson makes more sense than using Green with both Durant and Thompson. And then you can maybe fit in Giannis if you're only using two Warriors. No, I definitely, I definitely agree with that. I think Green has the most utility of those guys. Green's also a low-usage player in general. So he's the he's the least impacted player by Curry being out. And Durant and Thompson get more of the usage boost than Green does just because of the nature of Green plays. A lot of his points come from blocks and steals and rebounds. He's not a big scorer, so he's not going to be taking a ton of shots anyway. Uh, I would expect a little bit more assist from him with Curry out, but more of a boost to Curry and Thompson, uh, to Durant and Thompson if Curry can't play. Uh, and then from the Dallas side of the game, we have uh, Dennis Smith Jr. is questionable. He missed the last couple games with a knee injury. If he can't play, we just have to kind of be on the lookout for who's starting a point guard because J.J. Barea started one game. Yogi Ferrell started another game. Uh, they're not quite as cheap as they were before. They're, Barea's 5,000. Yogi's 5,100. I think it's just whichever one of them starts makes a little bit of sense, but still not a lot of value. Warriors are one of the better defensive teams in the league, and I would say that's a slight value, but not like a huge value play on Berea or Yogi if Dennis Smith Jr. is out. 
Well, if uh, um, um, if there's a potential blowout in this game, what do you think is more lo- likely for the blowout scenario that the starting point guard is the one that ends up sitting on the bench down the stretch because they usually just play backups in blowout games, or it's a Yogi Ferrell either way because he's a younger player and they'd want to get him the minutes. Like, I'm thinking that even if Ferrell starts, if there's a blowout, I would imagine that he still plays his normal minutes because they want to get him the work. He's young. There's no reason to sit him at the end of the game because it's a blowout. So it may be better to use Ferrell. I'm thinking Ferrell is safer either way, even if Berea is the starter. He probably is, and actually that benefited me a lot on Saturday night because Saturday night, Bure was expected to be the starter, and he was way higher owned than Yogi. But like three, I think it was two or three minutes prior to roster lock, we got the news that Yogi was starting and Bure was coming off the bench. So I global swapped all of my Bure to Yogi Ferrell, and Yogi had a total shit game going through like two and a half quarters, and then he was a garbage time hero and ended up outscoring Berea by putting up, like, 15 fantasy points in the last three minutes of the game or something like that. Just total garbage time. Uh, But my point of that story is just that I agree with what you said, that Yogi is probably the better play from your logic just because he's getting minutes whether it's a blowout or not a blowout. So I do think that he's the better play than Berea at 5,100, regardless if he starts or not. So the next game on the slate is the Memphis Grizzlies at the Houston Rockets. So... This game, not really a ton of interest for me. I think that with Harden, if you want to go really contrarian, I wouldn't even say it's really contrarian to use Harden Harden over Giannis. Harden will have a decent amount less ownership. But Giannis, to me, is a way superior play. If you want to use Harden, it's just because you're hoping maybe Giannis gets into foul trouble. Maybe something weird happens with Giannis. Or maybe there's just the off chance that Harden does have a huge game. But this is a tough matchup for them. The Grizzlies are one of the better defensive teams in the league. This is a huge pace-down game for the Rockets. Usually we're used to seeing their games have like 220-plus point over-unders. And uh, what is it for this one, Matt? I think it's 210.5, just pulling it up now. Uh, Yeah, 210.5. And there's actually also sharp action on Memphis. The spread in this game opened at Houston minus 8. It's down to 7.5 already. And I do really like the spot for the Grizzlies. I think it probably doesn't have a lot of blowout risk, and it probably has less blowout risk than this spread would indicate because of that sharp money that's coming on Memphis. The spread probably should be lower than it is. So maybe using Harden in a game stack where you're playing for the game to be up-tempo, maybe it just happens that the teams start playing faster for whatever reason. I would consider using Harden in a game stack, although, yeah, I agree with you. I I don't like him a ton, and Giannis is a better pick. Uh, But the issue with the Grizzlies is just they're expensive, so I, I think it's going to be hard to use them in most spots. I probably would stack this game, but for cash, I think you can't really use too many of them. Yeah, I think one of the issues, too, is so Conley's at 7,700, Gasol's at 7,900. Assuming that Curry's ruled out, Draymond Green and Klay Thompson are both significantly cheaper at one at a guard and one at the center spot versus Conley and Gasol. And I would expect both of them to score more points at cheaper salaries. So it, it's just hard to pull that trigger. One guy who does make some sense for the Grizzlies, Dylan Brooks, all the way down at 4,600. He played 32 minutes in the Grizzlies' last game. They don't have a lot of depth on the wing. They definitely don't have a lot of quality players on the wing. And Dylan Brooks has played decently. He played well in preseason. So they're just kind of running him out there. And I think that he's somebody else who could get 30-plus minutes at only 4,600. I think that he's risky for cash games, but makes sense as a, as a GPP play who also shouldn't be very highly owned. 
Yeah, I agree on Brooks too, and he kind of benefits in the same way that Yogi Ferrell does, where if this game does happen to be a blowout, Brooks is a young player who should get run no matter what. So I like Brooks for cash. I like him for GPP. I think he's probably the best option from either side of this game. Um, should we just pass over the the Spurs-Raptors game and just say we don't have any interest in this one? Yeah, it's I definitely too, agree it's, there. It's two defensive teams and a pretty two good defensive teams in a pretty low-scoring game. Just I don't really have a lot of interest there. Even with Valanchunas out, it seems like the Raptors have been appropriately priced up at other spots, so there's not even really value for that. 7300 for Lowry is really cheap, so I'll say that he, I think that he's okay as a play, but I don't want to spend too much time on this game. Other than that, uh, Kyle Lowry at 7300 I think is solid, usable guy. Uh, nobody from the Spurs side of the game for me. The next game on the slate, Washington at Denver. So this should be a really high-scoring game in theory. The problem is, what is the Denver pace going to look like this year now that they brought Paul Millsap in? A lot of their offense is slowed down. They have a lot of post-ups that run to Millsap, which really slows the offense down. And they've only played a couple of games, except Denver's playing at the second slowest pace in the league this year. They've been one of the highest-paced teams in the league for a lot of years in a row. And I'm just not sure if that's going to be the case this year. I don't think they're going to be the second slowest-paced team. But with that said, Matt, what is the spread and the over-under for this? The over-under opened at 223, and the spread is Nuggets minus three, so pretty fair game. Should be close, but there definitely is sharp action on the under. So the, the total has dropped from 223 to 222 and a half already. Only a half point drop, but most of the big bets have been on the under. Actually, I think all of the big bets have been on the under so far. And it does make sense with everything you're, that you're saying, and with this number just being really high. 223 is just a really high number for most games. Um, I think Vegas might have mispriced the pace at which the Nuggets are expected to play a little. So while the Nuggets probably won't be as slow as they've been so far, they probably also won't be as fast-paced as they were last year. So I do think this should be the highest-scoring game of the night, but maybe not by as much as people think. So I like the game. I just like it maybe a little less than the field will like it. Yeah, so here's the issue I have with, with this game. I think... Uh, John Wall, 10,100. Uh, I think that he makes some sense as a play. Uh, same Bradley Beal at 7,300. Uh, Kelly Oubre at 4,200 makes sense if Jason Smith's out. Jason Smith is currently questionable. He's been starting from a power forward. If he's out, then we are going to see Oubre start it at a power forward. And I think he would make a decent value play. From the Nuggets side of the game, just so I was talking about, they Bring, they brought Millsap in. It's really changed the outlook of their team so far through a couple of games. It's going to take time for them to work out their chemistry. And we've seen Jokic didn't score in the last game. Jokic is uh, 3 of 13 from the field in two games. That's a very low amount of shots for Jokic and then obviously very inefficient. And it's just going to take time for them to work this out. And I am totally off them in cash games just because the rotations are a little inconsistent right now. And they're just trying to work their way through it. Uh, so Jokic at 8,900, Millsap at 7,000. I think these guys are good GPP plays. Just I think that they're a little risky to use in cash, and I don't even want a ton of exposure to them in GPP. I would prefer to just wait a couple weeks, let them work it out, and also where then we get a better feel for what's appropriate pricing for these guys and just what is everybody's minutes situation going to look like and the role in the offense. Because right now I just think there's a lot of good plays on the slate. And I'd rather go with somebody who I know is a good play than somebody who might be a good play. 
Yeah, that definitely makes sense. And especially if Steph Curry is out, and especially if Hassan Whiteside is out, there are just better spots. So maybe I consider this game a bit more if Whiteside is in and Curry's in, and then just those other value spots look a little bit less intriguing. Um, so we'll have to see what happens there. But on the whole, this this is a game that's difficult to predict in terms of usage, in terms of minutes played for most of the guys. So it could end up being a full fade if we end if if we end up getting good injury news or at least good injury news for us with guys being out on the other spots. Uh, so something to monitor, but this is this is an overvalued game for sure. So we only have one game left on the slate, and that's the Sacramento Kings at the Phoenix Suns. And this game is a bit of a mess because I, I guess the only if people didn't see Eric Bledsoe on Twitter basically went out and said, I don't want to be here anymore, implying that he doesn't want to be a part of the Suns anymore. He wants to get traded. And almost immediately, Earl Watson, the Suns coach, got fired. So I don't. Kn- I know that supposedly Eric Bledsoe and Earl Watson have a good relationship. I wrote a joke about about Eric Bledsoe getting Earl Watson fired on Twitter, and one of the Suns beat reporters got mad at me and started sending me messages saying that it wasn't true, but it was just a joke. It wasn't really a big deal. Like it wasn't anything I meant seriously. Uh, but either way, this could have impact on the Suns roster. Well, hold on. Before you get to the game, do you think it's possible that Bledsoe? Uh, tweeted that already having the knowledge that Watson was getting fired and that's the reason he was upset? Yes, I think I think that the, one of two things happened. I think either he found out that Watson got fired and then tweeted that, or he tweeted that he wanted out of Phoenix and the, and the Sun owner saw it and then just fired Watson because he just felt like, oh, our best player is unhappy, we need to make a change. So I think it's one of those two things. Supposedly he has a good relationship with Watson and but either way, I, I'm going to assume Eric Bledsoe is just not happy right now. I, I think he's very likely to get traded at some point. But for this game, the issue is that the Suns' rotation was very goofy for a couple of reasons. First, Earl Watson's a shitty coach. He's not good at developing players. He's apparently good at managing relationships. And one of the reasons he got the job was because uh, Tyson Chandler and P.J. Tucker were both on the Suns' roster. They also have a good relationship with Watson. And they kind of, I guess, went into management and they really worked hard in favor of them hiring Watson. So it was what happened was as the Suns were rebuilding, he had P.J. Tucker, who's obviously not on the team anymore, and Tyson Chandler on the roster. And they were rebuilding. They had these young guys who should have been getting minutes. But he was just giving them to guys like Tucker and Chandler because he felt obligated to because he had a good relationship with them. They helped him get his job. So he felt that he had to give them minutes every night. Now, ultimately, I think this is why he lost his job, because they're just a total shithouse of a team. They suck. And a lot of it is because instead of developing their young players like Alex Len, uh, he's been playing Tyson Chandler 20-plus minutes a game this year. He was playing Chandler over 30 minutes a game for a portion of last year. And now we have a new coach who's going to come in, and we don't know what the direction is going to be. Is Tyson Chandler still going to start and play 25 minutes a game? Is Chandler going to come off the bench and is Alex Len going to start? Or is Tyson Chandler just totally out of the rotation now? Hopefully we get the Sun starting lineup prior to the roster lock. I'm not convinced that we will. The thing also is, are there going to be repercussions against Eric Bledsoe for what happened? Is Bledsoe going to get a team suspension for coming out on social media like that? Are his minutes going to be restricted? Are they going to say, okay, now you get to play more minutes, Bledsoe? Bledsoe hasn't been playing a ton of minutes to start the season. Uh, he also might not be totally healthy. He was listed as questionable with a sprained ankle the other day. So there's a lot of uncertainty in this situation right now. I don't think there's anybody you could use in cash games. It's GPP only. The Kings also 
Dave Yeager, another coach I don't like. He's been running a really deep bench. The one guy who is going to get minutes, George Hill at 5,100. I think he's a fine play. And then from the Phoenix side of the ball, I just kind of think everybody's a GPP play, no cash there. And so Eric Bledsoe at 7,100, like he's a fine GPP play. Same with Booker, uh, Josh Jackson, TJ Warren. Uh, Alex Len, I think, is kind of like the low-end sneaky GPP play because I think he is the most to benefit from a coaching change. Alex Len's on a one-year contract. The Suns want to find out what they have in him. At the end of this year, they need to know, is Alex Len part of our future or are we done with Alex Len? With Earl Watson as the coach, he was starting Tyson Chandler. He was not giving Alex Len a lot of minutes. And there was no situation where the front office could look at what Alex Len was doing on the floor and really evaluate what they want to do with him for the future. So I think it makes sense that we see Len get more minutes, but it's very far from a guarantee. But I think he's worth a shot as a GPP play. It's just this is a very difficult situation to figure out, especially with it being the last game to start on the slate, where it's very likely that we don't have that line of information. But hopefully to shoot around whoever it is that ends up taking over as coach, they do a press conference and they say, hey, here's what we're planning to do with our rotations and starting lineup for the rest of the season. Well, if we know that Len is starting, then I definitely think he also can be a cash play. Because at 4,100, it's it's pretty safe that he'll produce enough to cover that price if he's in the starting lineup, if we're confident he'll play 25 or more minutes. So I would use Len for sure in cash if he's starting. And even if he's not starting, I agree with you, he's a good GPP play. And then I certainly agree that everyone else in this game is not usable for cash, but it could be a decent game stack. I'll probably go a different direction, though, because there are other spots we like, and there's just so much that we don't know here. And I think because it's a late game, tip-off is 10 o'clock, I think. Yeah, it's the last game of the night, so we really won't know. We probably won't know a ton of the information beforehand. I'm probably off the game entirely, except for maybe Alex Lynn. Yeah, I also think Josh Jackson has been starting anyway, and I think he stands to benefit the most. Uh, just because they use the high draft pick on him. I, I'm really high on him. I think he could be a really good NBA player. He has a ton of potential. Uh, so I think Alex Len and Josh Jackson are my favorite GPP plays from that side of the game. And then that's the last game, so nothing else to add. You could follow me on Twitter at DFS. Matt's Twitter handle is at Preaching Sense, and we'll be back with another NBA podcast tomorrow.